0: We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. If you would, find with me in the listening sheet our sermon text for today, 2 Chronicles 6, 36 through 40. We're going to read that aloud together. And this is in the context of the larger reverse text for this week. So in reverse all week long, we've been in Second Chronicles 6, verses 12 through 42. And it's a good chunk of Scripture, and we're going to focus in during the sermon time on verses 36 through 40. So let's stand, and we will read that aloud together. This, then, is the text for today when they sin against you for there is no man who does not sin and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take them away captive to a land far off or near if they take thought in the land where they are taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity saying we have sinned we have committed iniquity and have acted wickedly if they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity where they have been taken captive and pray toward their land which you have given to their fathers and the city which you have chosen and toward the house which i have built for your name then hear from heaven from your dwelling place their prayer and supplications and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you now O my god I pray let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place may God bless the reading of his word there is a unique aspect to golf that puts professional golfers into a precarious position. See, occasionally you'll see a professional golfer standing over a semi-submerged golf ball and they're trying to calculate their next move. Now, the announcers will go back and forth and, and saying, well, they probably should hit this one out of the mud or they probably shouldn't hit it out of the mud. And, and the reason this is is because the rules of golf allow for this sort of thing. If your ball is in the mud, you can hit it out of the mud and reap the repercussions of that, or you can take a one-stroke penalty and pick that ball up and move it to the side and play it where it's not in the mud anymore. Now, as it goes, nobody wants to take a penalty stroke and just about everybody thinks they can get it out of the mud. And so what you see is golfers readying themselves for the fallout of the mud raining down upon them. They'll take off their shoes, they will roll up their pants, and they'll step into the mud to hit the shot because they know they can do it. But, you know, it doesn't matter whether they can or they don't. Mud flying everywhere is inevitable. And so we get these amazing uh, photos of professional golfers covered in mud. In fact, I have one for you. This was just last week. Uh, Wyndham Clark in the Zurich Classic at New Orleans. You see, just as we were talking about, his shoes and socks are back there behind him, and he's just letting that ball have it. Now, he does okay. He actually, you see the ball coming off there. He, he um, gets it near the green there. But then lo- look at him at his post-round interview. So that was on the broadcast, and this is him being interviewed... <laughs> after. It's even kind of hard to see. His, his hat is also covered in mud, and then there's just mud all over him. In fact, the side of his arm are just globs of mud uh, coming down. So put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that in, in a minute. So let's come to our text for this week. So our text for this week, Solomon has finished building the temple for Israel, and so it's come to the point where they're dedicating the temple. And Solomon, at this moment of dedication, prays in, in a very beautiful prayer, in a very... In just the perfect place, in the perfect posture. He sits there and he prays over the nation of Israel and he prays over this new temple that has been built for the Lord. This was organized by his father David, it has been ordained by God. And so he prays. And as he does, he intentionally reminds the nation and he acknowledges before God. That, that sin is the greatest issue that we all have in our lives. Sin is the biggest dilemma on the face of this earth, and throughout this prayer, you see sin come up over and over again. And he, he's, he's praying to the Lord, saying, we need resolution, we need hope in sin and temptation. Lord, we need your answer to the sins that we fall into. In fact, he's recognizing it's the same for the individual as it is for the nation that sin rips us apart. Sin rips us apart from one another. Sin rips us apart from God. And in fact, for the individual, it's, it's the sin that's harbored in our hearts that undermines everything that we do in this life. And as Solomon is there, he's praying over the people and he's praying over the temple. He says, Lord, may, may this be a, a, a place where people recognize their sin. And in the same way, as this is a place where people recognize their sin, may this be a a place where people recognize the peace of God and the full forgiveness over them. You see, all through this prayer, we hear and we recognize that sin is ruinous. It's our own sin that separates us from God. It's like that golfer swinging away in the mud. You see, we're faced with these temptations, and we think, oh, I can get away with it. Oh, it's, it's not going to be that bad, and we just kind of swing away at it. And, and, and we're, we're, we're like that golfer, and, and when we slip into temptation and we fall into sin, the filth just sprays it all over the place, and there's just chunks of mud splatter across our face and everything that we're wearing, and we're just coated in a sin that we can't get away from. You know, you may, may not be able to see it, but in God's eyes, those sins stain you permanently, and they are a separation from him. You know, that's why no one can approach the holy of holies apart from a consecrated high priest once a year. It's the same reason we cannot approach God apart from the blood of Jesus Christ because sin has altered the fabric of our lives encasing it with globs of rancid grit. You know, when we typically sin, our first reaction is, thing, ah, it's, it's not that bad. It's just a little stain here or or over there. But what we recognize in in this prayer, the, uh, the heart of God is found here as Solomon is praying. Because God finds your sin repugnant and heartbreaking. You see, God can spot and smell sin from across the universe. The stains of sin are always noticeable. They're as obvious as a mud splattered across a golfer's white shirt. We're covered in sin stains. You know, in fact, there, there are some who refuse to acknowledge it. They just coat it in mud and smearing it across anything they come into contact with. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're so muddy that your mom won't let you in the house or if your stain's barely visible. Either way, your sin is the problem. My sin is the problem. It's affecting every one of us. Solomon, in his wisdom, knew this. That's why he prays the way he does here in chapter 6. If you look down through there, verse 21, verse 25, verse 27, verse 30, verse 39, he, he makes mention of the problem of sin and the power of forgiveness. He specifically mentions sins throughout... And, and what he's recognizing here, he, he's looking into the future of what the temple is going to be and who the nation of Israel are, are going to be as they gather around the temple in Jerusalem that's just been built. And, and he recognizes Israel is going to sin. In fact, what they're going to see in the next three to four hundred years is that God's going to destroy their nation. God's about to destroy the, the temple that, that Solomon is now dedicating with prayer In fact, in the next three to four hundred years, they're going to be shipped off into exile as prisoners in a foreign land. As Solomon's praying, he doesn't know all these details, but he knows it's a possibility because he prays in that way over this people. And, And he's recognizing that there come days in our lives that we drift away from God, and the further we drift away from God, the closer we are to his punishment. And so from the reign of Solomon to 586 B.C. or so, Israel becomes unrecognizable. They're they're coated and covered in so much mud, you can't even tell who they are anymore. And, you know, what what you get is from this point forward in the Old Testament. In in fact, you can look at basically the the second half of of the Old Testament, you you see the recounting of their sin-stained existence. and and it's just like they get covered in mud further and further as you go you read through books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations Israel couldn't get out of their own way. They, they just keep swinging away in these mud pits and covering themselves with the filth of this earth. You know, as you, as you work through you know, the second half of the Old Testament, you see all these moments where it recounts Israel's sins. It, it, it recounts how they, they, they fall into this, this great pain and destruction. And it's a direct result of their own behaviors. In fact, as you read through all those, you'll see them listed throughout. So let, me, let me just start listing some of those because they sound awfully close to home these days. It says at the beginning, Israel forgot their God. It says Israel stopped telling the stories of God. Israel stopped telling the stories to their children about who God was. It says they started to oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And, and as these things are happening, they're, they're swinging into the mud and they get covered in filth. And, and, and the, the tragic part about these stories of Israel as this unfolds in their history is they seem to like it. They seem to embrace it. They just want to wallow in the mud together. And, and their sins just increase through the generations. Like it's piling on. They continue. They, they start to idolize fertility cults. They become practical polytheists. They worship the work of their own hands. They start to say, well, the promised land is ours. They start to say, we conquered the promised land. They start to say, all of these cisterns we've dug with our own hands, we're the ones who have done this. And God's just shaking his head no at all the filthy things coming out of their mouth. Scripture says they loved violence, that Israel began to, to love to watch violence. They loved to see violence at their own hands. Israel came to love sexual perversion. And it's like they're, they're jumping up and down in the mud now. And throughout the text, and this is probably the biggest problem, because you, you see this throughout the second half of the Old Testament, and all of these times where Israel just fell into the mud. And it says, but even though they did, the, the really the greatest issue is all the way through, they refused to be repentant. And it says over and over again, though, Israel just refused to be repentant, and they just fall into worse filth, and they refuse to be repentant, and it just continues, and it's like this snowball of mud going down a mountain that's turning into a complete disaster. They began to trust other nations instead of their God. It said they, they ran to Egypt instead of the Lord. It says they were filled with greed. The text even goes so far as to say the priests and prophets were more concerned about chasing after money than chasing after the Lord. And see, as you, as you work through the Old Testament here, before you, you come to the, to the exile, filth is just dripping off them, and, and as it's just dripping off they they have to, to wipe the mud out of their eyes just to see where they're standing. You know, and God could only take so much of it. As they splashed in the mud god brought down his vengeance from heaven and punished them severely they nearly lost everything because they wouldn't repent they lost their nation because they wouldn't repent they lost jerusalem because they wouldn't repent they lost the temple the one we're reading about here that solomon's praying over First they fall to the Assyrians, then they fall to the Babylonians who finish them off and destroy the temple in 586 B.C. Our God punished them severely. And our God will punish our sin severely. Now you, you note here, though, one of the things that Solomon is praying at this temple dedication is, though he didn't know the details, right? He doesn't know that, that Israel is going to take their disobedience to cartoonish levels. But Solomon in all of his wisdom that god had given him knew that sin would be the the problem and so in his prayer to God here, he calls on God to remember the promises, he calls on Israel to remember their Lord, and he says, as you cry out to the Lord, remember the story, because in the story as this book unfolds, God is a forgiving God, and, and his people are forgiven over and over again. His people are given a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and they don't deserve any of them. But what you recognize in the character and nature of God is that he is a forgiving and merciful God, his loving kindness is everlasting, and he will forgive you, and he will make all things new. He will make all things right if you would come back to him again. If you will repent, God will forgive. You know, if you, if you recall from one of our earlier lessons on, on building of the temple, a critical part of the temple, and, and really the, the primary reason it was built was to house the Ark of the Covenant, and on top of the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat of God. And for them, in that day, as the blood of the lambs were sprinkled across that mercy seat on the day of atonement, this was the place, and this was the time, and this was the way Israel found the forgiveness of God. He was in a specific place at a specific time at the mercy seat of God. And you can see this as, it, as it's prayed through this prayer. Uh, Solomon even not go so far as to say, even when we can't be here, if we're at war or we're in exile and we're across the globe, even if we just look in the direction of the mercy seat of God, we can know his forgiveness. You see, because they knew, that, and and as disobedience came, there were times they might not be able to make it back to the temple, but God would still forgive. Even if they couldn't be there at the proper time, at the proper place, but if their heart was repentant, God would forgive them. If they would face the direction of the sacrifice with a repentant heart, they would be forgiven and restored. You know, you, you see these restoration passages throughout the Old Testament as well. Let me, let me read you one. This is Ezekiel 18. It'll be on the screens with us. So Ezekiel eighteen thirty and 32. This is just one of the instances where, where God says, if, if you will come to me, we will make this right. He says, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord. So then he gives him the, the specific direction. He says, I'm the forgiving one, and I'm the one that can take care of this, but this is what I require of you. This is your moment of obedience before me. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions, so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. The wrath of God fell upon the nation of Israel in in a number of different ways, in a number of different times. But throughout the Scriptures, God doesn't take pleasure in that wrath. But in the order of, of creation, the unrepentant demand vengeance of God by their rebellion, by their disobedience. See, what we recognize in in this prayer that Solomon's praying is there is hope and there's good news here, That, that God is ready and willing with a clean white robe when you're ready to stop wallowing in the mud. See, God is calling out to his children, saying, saying, come home and be cleansed. Come stand with me on the rock of truth, and I will be with you. God has been crying out to his children since then. If you are tired of the pain and the filth of this world, and and if you're ready to get rid of the, the, the filth that has attached itself to you, if you're ready to be done with your own ways, God is calling out. He's calling out your name, saying, Leave that way behind and follow Jesus Christ. You see, God's ready for you this morning. He's calling out your name. Will you respond to the Savior and be made pure and white as the driven snow? You know, there's a beautiful moment in Luke where Jesus reminds us of this reality. We'll have it on the screen. It's the prodigal son's story. The prodigal is away from home, Standing in a field, feeding pigs, and in an instant he's tired of the slop and ready to go back home to his father. And let it be a a lesson to all of us who are listening this morning. Same kind of opportunity is before us. And so he got up, he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. THE SON SAYS TO HIM, YOU SEE THIS MOMENT OF REPENTANCE, FATHER, I'VE SINNED AGAINST HEAVEN AND IN YOUR SIGHT I'M NO LONGER WORTHY TO BE CALLED YOUR SON. THE FATHER SAYS TO THE SLAVES, QUICKLY, BRING OUT THE BEST robe. SO HE'S CLOTHING HIM AGAIN AND PUT IT ON HIM, PUT A RING ON HIS HAND, SANDALS ON HIS FEET, BRING THE FATTENED CALF, KILL IT, LET US EAT AND CELEBRATE FOR THE SON OF MINE WAS DEAD AND HE'S COME TO LIFE AGAIN. HE WAS LOST AND HAS BEEN FOUND and they began to celebrate we, we we celebrate with the lord in these stories of restoration in fact as we come together and as repentant people uh, fall to their knees and ask the lord for forgiveness this is all of heaven rejoices the the angels shout for joy when we have repentant hearts and when one comes home and jesus is calling out to us this morning saying come home are you ready to restore that relationship with your heavenly father Will You give up running the other way because God will purify your life and God will clean it up again so that you're recognizable. You become the, the man or woman that God intended you to be. And so together, we're, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And we're going to cry out to him, and we're going to cry out together in unison that I am a Savior in need—excuse me, no, I'm not a Savior. I am a sinner in need of a Savior, right? That Jesus Christ is the one that we cry out to and say, Lord, we are fallen, and we are broken, and we need your redemption. And so if if you've never prayed that before, will you cry out with us in that same way? Will you cry out with us this morning as we say, We are sinful, but we have a Savior, Because you are sinful, and you have a Savior, the one Jesus Christ, who will make you pure and clean this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we we stand before you as a people in need of a Savior. Lord, we recognize we can't make it through this world on our own. We've tried, and our feet have gotten stuck in the mud. We had to leave our shoes behind, and then our feet sank. And we fell over on our face, Lord. And we turn to you, and we look up. And Lord, we beg for your mercy. And we pray that you would, you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, as, as a church, would you search our heart and make it right? Weed out those things that shouldn't be there. Lord, as individuals, we pray that you would restore us. Lord, we pray that you would make sin and temptation um, heartbreaking. Lord, we pray that sin would be as repugnant to us as it is to you that we would run from the evils of this world and run straight into your arms, that we might know your holiness and your purity. And so Lord, by your spirit, we pray it would be so in this place. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.